Good morning, everyone, and welcome to this edition of Freeman Means Business Wonder Women in Business podcast. Everyone has a story, and we love to amplify the stories that are moving and meaningful and compelling. I'm super excited to introduce to you today Breen Sullivan of the Fourth Floor. Breen, welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you. <clears throat> I'm so happy to be here. Well, I know that we planned this in what seems like ages ago, um, and here we are today. I'm super excited to share your story and all the good things that you're working on, but we also want to know you professionally as well as personally, so don't forget to shine a little light on yourself personally. I know you have a lot going on in your life right now, so why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. I'm very happy to. So I am a career general counsel. So that is my professional background. So I'm a lawyer, that's true. Um, I did start off at a large firm, actually as an intellectual property associate. And then I made the leap in-house. And the first company I went to was a pretty scrappy uh, energy efficiency tech startup. And you know, I was an international trademark lawyer, so <laughs> I knew very, very little that would be relevant for that job. Um, I was I was there for three years. It was just such a fantastic experience. I used to, I, even though I had you know taken a very large haircut when it came to the pay, I I really believed that honestly I would have paid to have that job. Like it was essentially. Wow was essentially law school, but way better, you know, to yeah, become yeah. a general counsel. So I don't, I don't really know how else you would, you know, any better way than just leaping in to the fire and, um, you know, and learning how to swim over those three years. But that's, you know, that's what it was for me. And, um, and, you know, definitely being a, 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 a small to mid-sized, rapidly growing, you know, tech startup that it, it's a particular universe. And, um, and I loved it. So, you know, I did that That's for three so years. Awesome. Um, I want to interject just really quickly in support of that statement. I think that um, every person in business, every woman in business, especially should experience the startup atmosphere. It's very different, wouldn't you say? Yes, I would absolutely say that. I think, I think it is, it is a, it is a whole new world. Um, and I think it's a really exciting and creative world. And, and I, you know, I really was addicted um, and knew that I had found something, you know, that really worked for me. And so then I, you know, from that startup, I went to a larger startup that was data science uh, focused, which was, you know, fascinating. And then after that startup, I moved to an even larger startup that was a, an ed tech startup. So, um, so I feel like through those three experiences, it was like in some ways, like there were through lines that were similar. You know, I yeah. was, I was essentially the first legal hire building out the function. Although with the third company, I did inherit the role. Um, there had been a GC before me, but but for various reasons, it was private equity portfolio companies. So it was several smaller companies that had been acquired and combined, and essentially, you know, it was like a phoenix rising from the ashes. This new company. So it it there, there were more similar similarities than differences um, between all three in terms of you know being the first legal hire, building out a legal function. Now, granted, the industries were all very different. So, you know, yes. energy efficiency, data science, ed tech, and, you know, the product, the service offerings were also different. But I think 
such a powerful lesson for me through that experience, it was the similarities, you know, the, the through lines and how so much was analogous. And, and, you know, I'm convinced that really, if, if you learn how to be an effective general counsel in that environment, it's pretty much industry agnostic. Like you yes, really yeah. can, you know, leap. Um, and, you know, and then I think the larger extrapolation from that is, you know, that that's largely true in life. So, you know, it's not even just about leaping from startup to startup or industry to industry, like so much of what we do in life, you know, it's analogous and there is fluidity. And, 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 I, and I guess that, you know, that I might be jumping ahead, but, you know, like, like the, you know, the transition I've recently made from being a career general counsel to being a founder of a startup myself, um, certainly, you know, th that lesson rings true in this context. I was going to ask you, what would be your, would you consider in this amazing career you've had to date, what would you consider your proudest professional accomplishment? It's, it's absolutely the fourth floor. Well, huh. tell us more about that, because look, I'll be surprised if there's a, a woman on the planet who hasn't heard of you at least, but tell us more <laughs> about the fourth floor. Well, thank you. And flattery will get you everywhere um, <laughs> with me. That is definitely true. Um, so, okay, so the fourth floor, this is definitely my favorite topic um, to discuss. What it is, is really a new kind of membership community. And it's a membership community where entrepreneurs and leaders can create and then access board opportunities, investment opportunities, and funding opportunities for mutual benefit. And, and it's so critically important because up until now, we have not had access to just a vast sea of startup and private company board investment and funding opportunities. We just haven't had access right. and women in general. And this is true for founders looking to raise. This is true for women looking to initiate and advance their board careers. We've just not had access. And so what the fourth floor does is it's a platform, it's a marketplace, it's, it's an ecosystem where we are giving ourselves that access because we are creating the, the product ourselves too. So we're basically just recreating, you know, what already exists in the existing system, but we're recreating it somewhere else where we are the primary participants and we are the primary beneficiaries. And the broker dealer of community. <laughs> right. Um, and, you know, it's, uh, it's a little bit like a virtuous circle. I, yeah. I, I, think, I like this phrase. It's, um, you know, if you think about, you know, the opposite of a vicious cycle, you know, this is a virtuous circle. It's, oh, I it's, love that. Hang on that. Wait, I want to jot that down. That's amazing. I love that. Oh, virtuous um, circle versus vis vicious cycle. Amazing. Right. I love that. Because, you know, that, you know, we all are familiar with lots of, you know, unfortunate, you know, vicious cycles, right? A virtuous circle, what's so empowering and exciting about it is that we really can just build wealth and value that, you know, that we can all share in. And it's really enlarging the pie, you know, as the circle spins around, that pie is getting bigger. And, and that's true for us, you know, for the participants in the fourth floor, that's true for the world. Because you know the, the the I think the the numbers are so crazy. It's like 
you know, what, $5 trillion is just, you know, kind of being wasted and unaccounted yes. for because the, the female entrepreneur, no one has figured out how to, how to unlock, how to maximize and extract that value. So that's, you know, it's, it's really, it's really incomprehensible how large the potential is there. Yeah. Um, yeah, to start. To I'm cap. a female entrepreneur and I, I have two businesses and I'll say that um, I've been doing one of my running one of my businesses since 2010, as well as working um, in the legal industry. But I want to say that I didn't know where to go, who to call, who will help me. And when I did and not to slam men because we need them at the table, we need their support and such. But all the communique was in male, white male, corporate white male. And I don't speak that. And it just wasn't the way that I wanted to operate. So I really didn't know where to go. And I see now the fourth floor is a place for female entrepreneurs to go to, um, you know, find not just like-minded, we have diversity of thought in that group, but um, at least a language we can understand and a path forward. Right. Well, thank you. That's great to hear. And, um, and I totally agree about, you know, speaking white male. Yes. <laughs> that, that's just how it goes. And it's not, you know, the thing is, there's nothing sinister about this. Right, it's not right. intentional. This is no one's fault. You know, I know, you know, so many wonderful men, um, male colleagues. I mean, I, I love men. I'm married to one. I have a son. <laughs> um, I have brothers. I have a dad. I could go on. Um, it's not, you know, it's not that it's, it's just, it's just that it's, it's, it's kind of like the underlying assumptions that don't get questioned, right? Well, it's, I, I actually, Breen will say that I teach muted group theory and it talks about that, um, the language, the, the, the group that created the language created the operating system. And so it's easy to understand that white men created corporate America. So of course the mission, vision, strategy, the governance, et cetera, will be in their language and it'll be easier for white males to navigate, but women and other minorities will struggle to navigate within that operating system. So again, nothing sinister, it just is what it is. Um, we now oh. have to change that you know, structure. I really love that. Now it's my turn to write something down. Like that, that is, that is oh, great. Yeah. Look it up. It's called muted group theory. And it's one of the feminist theories I teach. And it talks about just that it's not with malicious intent. It's just, we don't communicate men and women don't communicate the same in many, many ways, especially leadership, hierarchical versus transformational, etc. So right. if we ask a lot of questions, our male supervisor might say, Oh, she's insecure, intimidated, too, can't make a decision on her own, seeking validation. She's not ready for the promotion. When we're thinking questions are a sign of respect, we want feedback from everyone. We think that it's the best way to create a, a custom solution to fit the need is to ask right. those questions. Right. So, or, and also to know what you don't know. Exactly. Let me tell you the single biggest lesson that you learn when you're a general counsel at at these types of companies is that if that is the most critical skill that you need to know what you don't know. And, and as yes. long as your, your compass is pretty good when it comes to that, you know, you're, you're going to be okay. Like you can, but, but that I, I have seen so many times, I'm sure we all have, you know, that it's the loudest voice, the person who speaks with the most certainty, even if what they're saying is word salad, that person, <laughs> 
is promoted and that person is recognized when they shouldn't be. And, and yes. that bad decisions get made and there's omissions and there's misses. And there's, especially as a general counsel, you really see it because you can see like, okay, well this stakeholder and that stakeholder, well, if they weren't so, you know, if they didn't just blunder forward without understanding what they didn't know or being willing to ask for directions, right? Like being you know, willing to ask yeah. for help. Then, then we wouldn't have this, you know, this hot mess that we find ourselves in now, or we could. I, lo have I love that you said that. word salad. That's I'm writing that down too. Gosh, this has been great. Oh. This conversation. I will say this: that um, <clears throat> you know, when you're doing all the talking and when you're, you know, a blundering forward, as you said, you don't learn anything new, right? How can you possibly mm -hmm. learn if you're not listening? Right. Absolutely. Yeah, I love that. I'll, I'll send you some resources on muted group theory and on some of the feminist theories and standpoint theory and uh, the power of questions and the Socratic method. Nothing you don't already know, but if it helps you help your people at the fourth floor, that would be fine with me. Yes, um, absolutely. It sounds really fascinating. So I it's awesome. It's, it's so my background in comms is comms theory, not PR and crisis comms like most people assume. So it's fun stuff. If you like to nerd out. <laughs> I got <laughs> what has been your um let's say let's say for example you are right now inspiring me you're very motivational you're you're not just your content is great but your delivery is great you're you can feel the enthusiasm in your voice um so you're inspiring others right now did someone along the way do that with you did you have a sponsor or a mentor or who inspired you you know, it's funny because when I was when I was looking at the list of questions, I don't know if I'm allowed to say that, but um, when I was looking at <laughs> you are <laughs> there, this was the one question. You know, this is the question that always really gives me pause, and I've certainly been asked, you know, versions of this question many times in my life, and um, and it always gives me pause because I like because I am I am nothing if not an authentic person. So I'm very. You would very, not be on this show if you weren't. <laughs> It's, it's like a lot of times it's an Achilles heel. Like it is very hard for me to be inauthentic and um, which oftentimes is, you know, a great armor and a great um, asset to, to move ahead in the world. And I sadly don't have it, but, um, but the, the truth, like for me to be really authentic, I mean, it's my mom and I, I know Aww. that. So I just can't, you know, get away from that. Um, because I think that's beautiful. Tell me why. So, and then I was thinking that, how do I explain this? Um, <laughs> which is also challenging. I mean, I, how do I? Um, was it her business influence or personal influence? Uh, did she, you know, teach you manners? I mean, why was she inspirational? What is it, <laughs> what is it about her? So, so obviously as much as I'm inspired by love and respect my mom, it, it was not her business, um, you know, career that is inspiring me. Um, it's uh, so my mom actually is is a teacher. She was a oh, uh, nice. and, and a drama coach, in fact, um, and and directed plays at my high school. I actually grew up in Alaska, probably really jumping wow. ahead. Wow. That fact, that little known fact that's surprising. But um, you know, so I so I grew up in, in Alaska and I was in this big public high school. My mom was um, she directed all of our shows. And I mean and this is not this is just one you know, one small facet, but I, 
she was she's an unbelievably gifted artist really is I think wow. what it comes to as a director right as a theater director which really is being like what is that really and I think really that's um having a spark of genius when it comes to life right people like what motivates people what's the point of it all what is possible like what's mutable what's not mutable you know that kind of thing and she I sounds I, amazing oh, I do think that too, um, but I think I think she I think she's got that whatever that is, and I and that's definitely been like the je ne sais quoi inspirational thing because you know I mean so much so like I ended up I went to Yale undergrad and I was a theater major in fact um, because of my mom one hundred percent that uh, is and, so amazing um, let me ask you Breen would you send us you know the folks who listen regularly know that I create a blog about my guests. Would you send us some pictures of your life in Alaska and in New York? And, you know, so we want to tell the story of you, not just through the podcast, but through pictures. Oh, yeah, um, definitely. We could definitely do that. That's it. I've never had a guest from Alaska or, you know, even visited that I know of visited Alaska. It's one of those places I'm curious about. I've lived in Hawaii and people assume, oh, you know, you've probably been to Alaska. I'm like, why would you think that? They're not even close. Like, why well, would you think you know, that? In, in fairness, though, um, actually, lots of people from Alaska do go to Hawaii. And I think a lot of that, you know, it has to do with obviously a similar time zone and like yes, a nice yes. flight pattern. Um, and actually where I'm, uh, I was born in Ketchikan, Alaska, which is a rainforest island. And it's um, part of the Tongass uh, yeah, uh yeah. rainforest current so actually the um you know just geologically speaking it like, is similar that way yeah and, it, and it's like literally a hawaiian island i think at some point that like basically drifted up and became ketchikan which is a you know which is volcanic it's just you know in alaska so it's not tropical but it's a botanist paradise yeah i guess my point was if 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 I'm going to Hawaii for sand and sun and warmth of air, why would I go to Alaska if I'm looking for sand and sun? But I do want to go to Alaska. That's on our list. Uh, New Zealand and Alaska are the cold places on our list of where we want to go. That's our short list of cold places. But other than that, um, right. you're amazing. You're so multifaceted. You're a great storyteller. Um, I don't offer this to everyone I meet, and I certainly have never offered it on my show. Um, but annually, I host this huge um, TED Talk style storytelling conference with um, mostly they just because my circle is mostly lawyers. It's mostly lawyers, but it's not all lawyers. Um, but I would love to have you speak on stage when we get back. My next one is Chicago, but then after that, it's either Philly or New York. I can't recall, but I would love to have you tell your story. Oh, well, thank you. Um, yeah, I would love to do that. It's amazing. It's a great event. It's you, you do a TED style talk. It's your your story is very compelling to you. It's probably you're in your bubble. This is my life, you know, but for those of us in the outside of your bubble, I mean, that's a pretty amazing journey you've you've traveled. So um, good for you and can't wait, can't wait to hear more. So tell me a little bit about lifting women, advising women, supporting women in business. I know that's what you're passionate about. So tell me a little more about how we can do that. Right. Okay. So absolutely. And really at the, at the very core of the fourth floor, you know, what happened, like the, the, the reason why I just kind of came up with this idea, I actually 
you know, I was at my second company, uh, tech company, which I loved and, and definitely mostly very satisfied, but it started to really irk me that, that somehow <laughs> male colleagues around me just either, you know, they had like advisory board member in their LinkedIn profile. They, yeah. they had, you know, they were joining, they had some opportunity to, to essentially be an, you know, an angel investor or some sort of investor in this small fund that was being spun up to like focus on startups and this venture. I just, I just kept hearing about stuff like this. And, you know, and then of course, as a lawyer, you know, sometimes I'm, I'm helping, I'm drafting the paperwork or I'm, yeah. you know, I'm aware of what this is, but I'm like, why am I kind of on the outside looking in? Like, it's just, I don't know why, but I feel like there's like a glass between me and these opportunities. There's some yes. barrier, this access barrier. And it's, and it's like, and I know that women have a hard time getting board seats. You know, you look at the stats and, you know, publicly traded uh, big company board seats, obviously it's bad. Um, but what really just blew my mind was when I realized that those stats are so much worse when you look at startups and private company boards. So yes. then I was like, what? So not only, so fine, I know we're focused and we talk about this in the media as really good we are and like changes are afoot and things are starting to happen, you know, tr like when we're focused at this upper echelon of, you know, governance opportunities. But, but when you think about pipeline, and I don't mean pipeline like talented women, you know, of course there's, of course, there's no end of talented women, but I mean pipeline as in the process. Like what's actually happening systemically that, that, that these men who end up getting those really you know, sought after public board seats, what, what path have they followed? And then I realized like kind of tracing this backwards, it's like, oh, these are all my male colleagues. Like they start, they, they have advisory board roles with startups. They, now they hear about this new opportunity. Oh, they, they're into investing on some level. They're aware of it. They're in this whisper network. Private equity knows who they are. They're getting tapped on the shoulder to you know, be part of a board of, of this you know, portfolio company. They're, and then through that networking and those board experiences, they're also all of a sudden you know, have the ability to be up for that big promotion to be a CFO of a company's branch in Spain. Okay, well, yeah. that's a great resume to that's now access. get that, that publicly traded board seat, right? So yeah. then it's really hard. You know, you have the these Fortune 500 companies and they're looking at their list, their roster of candidates and they say, well, there's a pipeline problem because I'm looking at seven CFOs, you know, from Spain. And then I'm looking at like, you know, women who are really smart and really impressive, but don't quite necessarily have all of that. Or there are some, but there's less, right? So, there are few, I would say. Right. But but if you unpack that, it's, you know, it's all the little stuff along the way. It's, you know, each one of those opportunities was leading to a bigger network, you know, better opportunity. It's, they're all stepping stones. And so it's not, it's not just the board seat. It's the equity, like the personal portfolio of yeah, equity yeah. building up as an advisor and then also as an angel investor. But it's also, you know, these graduating professional opportunities that lead also to professional success. And, and it's all of that taken together in the aggregate, which is why there is this giant systemic problem. So once, once I saw that and I, and I started, I was connected to just so many women general counsels because we, you know, this has been a nice shift in the last 10 years. We just, we've all started to talk to each other and, you know, there's listservs and, you know, there's WGCN, which I think you know of, which is a yeah. phenomenal um, group that just sort of 
organically, you know, developed, came to be. And there's Tech GC, which is wonderful. And, you know, there's all of these organizations where now, you know, thanks to LinkedIn and, you know, now private communities, right? We're all talking to each other. And, and so I started kind of testing this out and I just got, it was just unanimous. I mean, every person I spoke with was like, yep, this is totally infuriating and yeah. we see too. And we want to crack that code. Like we want in and we, we agree. And so, you know, so I'm, I'm feeling that from women GCs. And then I, I, I just very luckily stumbled across a networking event that I normally wouldn't have gone to. That was uh, for women entrepreneurs and they, and I was the only lawyer there. And it really became clear, like very quickly, that um, that that all of these women founders would be would really benefit from having a general counsel like me as an advisor to them, and they and they agreed, and and I agreed, and and so much so that I had this conversation with one general counselor, with one entrepreneur that night, and it turned into like a two-hour conversation. And by the end of the <laughs> night, we were like, "This is a brilliant idea because there is not a single." woman founder out there that wouldn't like, or maybe there's one, but you know, most of them <laughs> would really see the value in kind of a, you know, a, a startup GC, like in their pocket, right? You to complete have each other. Yeah. As a woman founder, I know I would have killed for that kind of um, community or friendship or collaboration or advice, or, you know, just having someone I can say, not, not necessarily do, do my legal work, but can you advise me on what, what does this mean? Or right. where should I go right. next? Yeah. Right. It's, it's really strategic growth advice. You know, it's exactly. like, like, like what we can do, like what we know, what our superpower is, is okay. Like you're an early stage company. Well, there's like these five giant pitfalls. Some are quasi legal in nature. Some are not even really legal. There might be like kind of more administrative or, you know, like we know those pitfalls and we can give this kind of strategic guidance to, to help early stage companies avoid those pitfalls. But then we also know, you know, like how to leverage outside resources and how to be strategic. And we, we've, we've been there, done that. Like we have, a, like we know like, okay, what are the things you really need to worry about? What are the things you don't need to worry about? So yeah. that the doctor is not freaking out and spending $30,000, you know, at some large white shoe law firm for some sort of thing they don't need or- Hello, know, been there, done that. Right. <laughs> right. You're definitely, you're like the Juris Doctor of Preventive Medicine, <laughs> you know? Oh, I love that. The, oh my God, you have to write the, that down. Yeah, the Juris Doctor of Prevention, you know, um, oh. preventive care. I love that. And it's so like women to, or it, I should correct myself. It is so like secure women to offer up and to lift up and to collaborate and to help. Um, I, I know a lot of men and some women too, who would be like, well, how will I make money from that? You know, how I, that's their first thought. And I'm like, that's short-sighted. Be right. a purpose-driven person and a purpose-driven business and the profit will come, the money will come, the whatever it is you're looking for will come, but you have to be purpose-driven. Right. Well, look, I, I mean, it's, you know, obviously that's, a, you know, a huge, like, like really uh, figuring out the most effective way to monetize. Yes. Solving the problems, you know, this big that are, that are really systemic, but that the, the, you know, the, 
the pot of gold at the end of that rainbow, of course, you know, could be unmatched. Like we started out this conversation. And it's saying, okay to want that, you know, right. it's okay to want that. I just think that your first step should be um, defining your purpose. Right. Well, I think you can't, I mean, I guess where I, I know that that point sort of trailed off into nothing, but where I was going with that is that I think if you're, you know, if you can't see the forest for the trees, like if with, with, with an idea this big, right, or with a solution this big for a problem this big, if you're getting really caught up in the weeds, yeah, of, you know, transactionally, what will make me money today, that, then I don't, you know, I'm not saying that those efforts are not worth something or that it couldn't turn into, you know, some value add, like some, some version of, uh, you know, a business that can generate revenue and also can start to chip away at the problem. I think that's true, but I think this very, this bigger thing, which is really yeah. what I care about, this is what's motivated me from the start. I mean, this is what, you know, I, this is a labor of, you know, I've just, I would do this. No Clearly. Matter what. I've been doing this for two years, no matter yeah. what, like, I, I, I just, you know, it's that, it's that Rubik's cube, you know, exactly. finding the right solution to that problem is, is I think just the answer to really, you know, tip the needle when, and, and drive some systemic change when it comes to money and power, because women, we, we have way too small of a share of money and power for the world to be healthy because it's not a greedy grab, you know, women want to take this away from the men that have it or, you know, diverse uh, people want to take it away from, you know, the majority that right. has it. Not that, it's that a balanced ecosystem is just going to create more value for everyone. It's going to and run. And that does that. drive profits up when you have right. that diverse creativity, innovation, thinking, et cetera. Um, let me ask you something. Um, oh my gosh, I'm having a, a moment. It just flew right out of my head. I didn't want to interrupt and now I, I don't recall, but if it hits me, I'm going to just jump in <laughs> with it next time. I had a question for you about the fourth floor. Hmm. Oh, I know what it was. You were talking about women and money. Um, right. Have you ever seen any of the award-winning documentaries by Robin Hauser. She, she's amazing. She's right here in California. Um, and I know her, but you should check her, her newest documentary out. I think there's a trailer called Savvy and, and the S is the dollar sign. And it's about mm -hmm. exactly that. And, and even the trailer is substantive. You know, Sally Krawcheck's on there. Um, uh, the woman from Charles Schwab, her I forgot it was her grandfather was Charles Schwab. Um, mm -hmm. I can't remember her name, but you should check that out. It, it, it's it's a wonder. It it's sort of um, puts into a seven minute trailer that which you're addressing right now. How women have either consciously or unconsciously or subconsciously relinquished their financial wherewithal or power to their right. boss or to their lawyer or to their husband or to you know and not. Right. You know, and, and it's not that we can't, that's a myth. I mean, I right. can't, that's the truth. I can't, I'm not a numbers person, but I'll tell you the fact that, you know, people say, oh, women aren't good with numbers. That's not true. Just this one's not good with numbers. Right, right. But you right. should check no, it I, out. I, I definitely will. And I think, I think that's right. I mean, I think it's like a sub, it's kind of subconscious or, you know, maybe we're either relinquishing it or we just never had it to begin with, you know, in this. Yeah, in it's an system. assumption. Right, because we were just kind of, we were just sort of cut out, right? Not on pur purpose, again, like not sinister, not 
just right. insidious because we just weren't integrated into the fabric of it, you know, at the outset. And so therefore we're just, like I said, on the other side of the glass looking right. in and, and we can see it clearly. We understand it. We're drafting the documents. We're, we're making rational decisions, but yet somehow there is this barrier. Not heard. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, it, it's, um, that's muted group theory right there. You just, you hit the nail on the head again. I mean, the, the financial systems, again, I use the phrase operating system because it incorporates every industry, every everything, right? right? Whether it's universities or corporate America or law firms or whatever that operating system may be. It right. was created by white men and women right. and other minorities don't speak white male. We struggle to navigate within those operating systems and we miss opportunities that we absolutely deserve in many cases because we're not self-promoters, et cetera. Right, right. And that's yeah. right. Absolutely. And that's really well, hard. Yeah. Let me ask you, this is a, a tougher question because um, I think it's easy for women like you and me to talk all day about how we can support other women. It's in our, it's in our core, right? But right. what has been a challenge or setback that you overcame and how did you do so? Yeah. So, okay. Well, I think, um, you know, I think I have, I've even sort of already partially spoke to this. So, so actually, so, so I told you, you know, I got my start at a big law firm and, um, and when I joined big law, it was 2008 which was, oh my. you know, the very last year um, of it being normal at all, right? right? Before, like there was this big, you know, the big financial crisis in 2008, and then yeah. everything really changed, you know, for that landscape. And, and I know, I'm, I know now, actually, what I just said is probably not totally true. I'm, I'm sure big law, you know, big laws, it, you know, uh, sustains itself and has found new ways to you know, I know there was a lot of consolidation and, and I'm sure they've got a lot going right for them um, again, but there were some dark years in there. Yes. That, that is when I was a junior associate and I was caught up in, you know, the waves of layoffs of junior associates. Yeah. And for me, so it was, I was particularly vulnerable because I was actually eight months pregnant when this happened to me. And you know, with my first child and every time, and it was terrifying. It was absolutely terrifying. It was, you know, and I was the, the main breadwinner yeah. and we had to, like, we lost our house. I had to, like, it, there was no finding another job. And especially when you're eight months pregnant, you wow. know, nine months pregnant. And then, you know, your first time having a child, like there's, it's, it can be rough, you know, for the first few months. Yeah. Afterwards. Yeah. There was just no way. There was nothing. It was like, and and I I the the failure that I felt. I mean, even though you know, in retrospect, obviously you look back and it's like, this is crazy. I mean, it was I all out of out of I, your control. Right, right. I didn't. You know, this isn't. I mean, who knows? I mean, could I have been? Was I the best international trademark associate? I don't know. Probably not. But like, did am I a horrible failure of a person that? you know, is not valuable. No, but somehow like for me, and maybe because, you know, I have, I've had a lot of success and I've, you know, I haven't, you know, it really just really got me. Like I really felt, you know, like, like I had just really failed and I had no idea like where, how to go forward because, you know, being unemployed, you know, for a period of time, because, you know, there was just no, it wasn't going to, 
it, it just felt like it would be this horrible mark on my resume and, and nothing would ever be the same and I would never be able to come back from it. And, um, and, and then it was really like just realizing like, like, and, and this is, I guess, why like going back to my mom, right? Just being able to like put all this and find a way to put it in context, like to, to kind of get over yourself. And I was just going to ask you, did you gain perspective? Because you know, that was not one, your fault and two, you couldn't solve the problem that the world was experiencing, right? I think that's part of your youth at the time as well, where you think it's all about you. Right. I agree. I agree. And I, yes, I think it gave me perspective. And I think it also like incredibly empowering because once you realize like, oh my God, when you get lemons, you have the chance to make lemonade. Like lemons are yeah. such a many times because you know when when the door closes the window opens all of those you know i know these phrases we tell ourselves <laughs> but he was like really truly living that and yeah. like you know and 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 that is so core you know to who i am you know on every like that that's just core to life for me like i guess life that philosophy. comes through in your enthusiastic delivery i mean you're i mean you make me feel, and, and look, I'm one of these women, I'm, I'm older, I've been around, I have a lot of perspective, a great deal of history, but um, you make me feel like I can do it, right? So that's <laughs> so beautiful. Um, you say when life gives you lemonade, I mean, lemons make lemonade. I say when life gives me lemons, I'm at the stage in my life now where I make lemonade and I add a shot of vodka. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Well, well. I mean, look, you get better and better at it. But I mean, yeah. but that. So definitely, it was like the biggest challenge, like just being faced with that, feeling like I just totally failed, like being kicked to the curb, like losing the house, like having total uncertainty, like complete, you know, just stress and like not knowing the passport. I question everything. Never should have gone to law school. Never, never going to be a lawyer again. What does any of this mean? And then realizing, nope. <laughs> like the, the yeah. world is a lot more than that and actually wouldn't it be really you know I am interviewing like there are jobs like fine it's taking a while but like what if I just took a leap of faith like what if I just you know jumped outside the box like wh what why, not, you why is it succeeded? we always ask ourselves what if I fail why don't you ask yourself what if I succeed <laughs> and well, look at you now, Breen. You're amazing. You're a shining star. You're helping others. You're genuine. Um, I mean, I I definitely don't have people on the show who are, you know, snake oil salesmen or women. So for sure, you're you are really a force for good, a light. Well, look, thank you. I mean, I just I can tell you that um, that I never. I'm just sure I would never be like had that not happened. I, I right. don't. I, I can't imagine that I would have leaped to an energy efficiency tech startup when I knew nothing about tech, I knew nothing about software, I knew nothing about energy, I knew nothing about engineering and, um, or oil and gas, <laughs> like, like, you know, to like make that leap. And, um, and then, you know, ha like, I, I just, it was the best thing that I ever could have done. And like I you said, I would have you to it. empathize with others. Do you think it gave you empathy for others? Uh, I, I do think that when you go through, like, like you just, you learn, I mean, I guess it's part of that perspective piece, right? Like you yeah. realize everybody, like people, like it's never, it's never true that say, say you work with somebody and like something, you know, they, I don't know, they, they don't work out like at a particular company or with a particular boss or for some right. reason. 
like either they quit or you know they're they're forced out or like some you know for some reason that person doesn't work out in that situation well that is just one data point and that is and to be to to rush quickly to judgment and and I, it is true i am not a judgmental person i am just not um and i know again sometimes being discerning and judgmental can be very beneficial um, to navigate, especially corporate America. Um, and so that also can be an Achilles heel for me. I'm not judgmental, but it also is a source of incredible empathy. It's true because I get it that like <laughs> we are so multifaceted and who we are in one moment in, you know, in one context at once, one stage in our development, you know, like who we are as a person, like all of that, the only constant is change. So people are just yeah. rapidly changing all the time. So you can't sort of write people off, you know, never feels right to me. I love um, that about you. I think that more people should be that way because to me being um, discerning is one thing, but judgmental is a sign of insecurity. I mean, you have to understand another person's perspective before you can even create a, a minimal judgment around them, you know, understand, walk in their shoes, right? So um, I think people who, you know, talk bad about others or don't know their full story and don't give them a shot or even don't listen to them, they are, you know, manifesting their own fears, right? Their own insecurities. Right. Well, right. let me ask you, we're getting to the funnest part of the show, in my opinion, where we have what we call the wild card question. And okay. I will ask a question that even I have not yet seen. So are you game? Wait, am I what? game wait am i game have you never heard that phrase are you game means are you willing to play oh, are you i just i thought that was your question i was like uh, no are you <laughs> to answer that one like you you know that's a curveball um I, yeah are you game, game to play the I, wild card question <laughs> oh my god that's yeah. hilarious all right, so I'm reaching into a box of 144 questions and I don't know what I'll pull. Oh, here it is. Okay, so Breen, what would you do if you ruled the world for one day? Uh, what would I do if I ruled the world for one day? OMG. Okay, that is a question. What would I do? I think it would have to be, okay, it would have to be about people and I would have to, you know, okay, it's like, it's like, um, you know, Thomas Jefferson could, uh, you know, the Jeffersonian dinner, right? Like, because he was so powerful, he could just ask and anyone in the world would come to his table. So you get like 15 people to his table and then he would have these discussions that basically, you know, created our country by candlelight, right? Like he, like I he, that's what that answer. So I think that's, that's what I would do. I would have to assemble, you know, the, 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 the right group, small group of, of people together across the globe and just have a Jeffersonian dinner or, you know, a feminist version of one, <laughs> but I'm like, I'm not saying exclude men, um, you know, that goes on for like, as long, I mean, it's a 24 hours. So if it took 12 hours of talking, 
then that's what it would take. I love that answer. So first of all, I've done 220 podcasts and I've probably asked a wildcard question for the past, I don't know, four months because it's newer to the show. Um, I've never pulled that card. And that is, that is a hard question. And you answered it in such a way that you made clear your values. And I love your values. You're all about community and about lifting and listening and um, creating positive change through diverse thought and feeling. You incorporate feeling into your decision-making. Um, what an incredible answer. Um, I hope I hope I would be invited. I would certainly be there. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Well, that was a really fun. Um, I, I'm actually going to keep that card out of the box for a moment and give it some thought personally for me later today, um, because I love that question. And I love, love, loved your answer. So Breen, if people want to know more about you or the fourth floor, how can they reach you? Um, so they can reach me on, you know, through the website, which is the fourth floor, all one word, but spelled out the fourth not com, but co. Um, so that's a great place. Um, also LinkedIn, I'm pretty, I really try hard uh, to be um, responsive. And, um, and, and, you know, that's probably the best way there's email, you can email through the website. Um, you can apply to join the fourth floor also through our website. And we're actually, we're, the, we're launching, I, I can't believe I didn't mention this, but I have a few seconds at the end. Um, we are launching on January 26th, our, our new platform, which we're unbelievably excited about because it's basically, it's a powerful, scalable platform where we have a board seat exchange. So entrepreneurs, founders of early stage to like, you know, up, up to series A startups that are building out their advisory boards and or seeking and seeding independent directors, they have listings that are searchable and you can find them and apply to those positions, but also at candidates. So women who are board ready or <clears throat> they are and they don't know it because there is a startup out there that they are board ready for, um, you know, women who meet our our acceptance criteria, then they can submit themselves as candidates and the founders can search through them and uh, their listings and contact them. We also have lots <coughs> of programming that is geared towards making these lasting connections. And, um, and we also have an investment club that is part that's woven into this platform and, and we're um, rolling that out in phases. So it's starting as angel investment and it's growing from there. So there's hopefully more and more investment opportunities to come for members also through this platform. And then of course, you know, it's a private community uh, platform where there's everything from an expert hub and a job board and all the types of, of, of community interactions that you would want. So um, so that, that is my pitch for our platform launching January 26th. We're in beta now, so you can also apply to, um, to be part of our, our beta group and, and benefit from discounts and help us build it because we need you. Um, and you can do that pretty much everywhere. So I guess the website would be the place to go and feel free to look me up on LinkedIn. And um, I definitely love to talk about the fourth floor. So I'll obviously, continue. and for good reason. And I'm super excited that you did. You know that I'll include everything you want me to in the blog. So I'll include the link to the fourth floor and I'll include your LinkedIn link to your profile, 
as well as your headshot bio and some pictures that tell your story because what a story you have. You're amazing. And I don't say that to everyone, right? <laughs> so I have really, really enjoyed this conversation and I look forward to staying in touch, Breen. Yeah, me too. Thank you so much. Have a good day, everybody. And thanks for tuning in. Bye-bye.